Welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast. I'm Ashley Patrick with Budgets Made Easy, and today we have a special guest, Jen, from Investor Mama. And we just have a relaxed conversation about taking care of your parents or your grandparents, you know, especially when you have young kids, things that you need to keep in mind and make sure that you take care of because you know, they're not always able to be able to either mentally or physically um, take care of themselves. So what are some of the things that you need to know um, so that you can cover all your bases and figure out what you need to do to be able to help them? Before we dive into that conversation, I do want to let you know that Monday, January 30th, we kick off the Money Plan Bootcamp. This is free. I only do it Um, Well, I've only done it once before, but I only plan to do it this year in 2023 twice. So this is your chance to kick off the new year, create a realistic money plan that you can actually stick to. I'm going to teach live my five set framework for doing that, plus an amazing community along with prizes and giveaways. And of course, you can ask me all the questions. Uh, It's just a really fun group and a great group of people that will be there to help support you, cheer you on, answer your questions, and help set you up for success in this new year. So come join us. Your time is running out to join us. Uh, sign up at budgetsmadeeasy.com slash bootcamp. Now let's dive into the conversation about taking care of your parents or grandparents. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Money Mindset Podcast. Hey, Ashley, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on. Absolutely. And I really have enjoyed getting to know you and talk to you before we started recording this podcast, because your podcast, Investor Mama, is a lot like the Money Mindset Podcast, where we have conversations and we talk about our journeys and all things personal finance. So, but we had to narrow it down today about what we were going to talk about. So what we're going to talk about is really the financial side of helping your parents uh, once they get to a point where they can't financially take care of themselves or they have health issues. And so you're having to do a lot of the estate planning and handle all the paperwork and that type of thing. Before we dive into that, can you just give us a little bit about uh, background about yourself? in your financial journey? Sure. So I have always been, I had very smart women in my family and that were very passionate about finance without even knowing that was like a thing. So even at a young age, I remember sitting down at the kitchen table with my grandma and she'd open up her, back then it was, you know, the account statement with the stocks and she had Coke and Disney and, you know, the big companies. And she said, you know, Jenny, just invest in something, you know, and just, put your money, you know, make sure, make sure you invest. And then the same time, my mom, even though my parents didn't always make the best financial decisions at a very young age, I remember she was the one that always did the bills and she would say, make sure if you're going to buy something, you can afford it and always pay your credit card on time. No matter what you have to pay your credit card in full on time. And so those things have always stuck with me. And so as I got older, I always, was attracted to learning about personal finance. And, you know, I had, a, I opened up a Roth IRA when I was in my early twenties and, you know, didn't invest a lot, but just at a young age started doing the right things and made a ton of mistakes along the way, by all means. 
but uh, always was passionate about it and then wanted to help others, especially now as a mom, I feel that the money journey changes a lot once you have kids and throw it like we own real estate and, you know, owning real estate prior to having kids and owning real estate after having kids is just very different and things you spend money on and things you don't spend money on and navigating aging parents is, <laughs> you know, yeah. you become the parent. And then it was so many of us are the sandwich generation. So we're trying to, you know, save and invest for our kids and teach our kids about money. And it's just so much and you're working and it's all the things. And so that's kind of how I decided to start Investor Mama podcast. And also we had, uh, some issues, you know, tragedy along the way a little bit too, that made me really want to be passionate about helping other women, especially, especially, you know, moms uh, on their money journeys. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're here even, and it's amazing that you're, uh, the women in your life have taught you at such a young age to invest because even if you make other financial mistakes, which we all do, especially in our twenties, <laughs> when you invest <laughs> that young, like you can't screw up because just the magic of compound interest is amazing. Like we made a lot of mistakes ourselves as everyone probably knows. Um, and, but since we started investing in our twenties, when we first got our real jobs, you know, our first real jobs, uh, we don't have, <laughs> we technically don't have to invest anymore because like we invested so much when we were really young. So um, that definitely is helpful. Um, so now, as a lot of people listening may know, I had my grandma living with me for several years. Um, and, you know, like you said, the sandwich generation of having to financially and um, physically care for um our parents or grandparents, you've had to deal with that as well. And so let's dive into that, like some things that we can do to really prepare our, or try to not only financially, yeah. but <laughs> mentally, like mentally, it's so different when you're trying to take care of seniors and trying to take care of kids at the same time. I know it's very physically and mentally draining for me personally. Um, and so yeah. let's talk about kind of your situation as well. Like how, um, what your situation was with that, having to take care of, uh, grandma and your mom. Sure. So in 2015, my mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at a very young age. I think she was, she was about to be 60. So she was young for the most part. And I remember I was at work. Oh, she started losing her memory right after the time uh, I got my my grandfather had passed away. And then we thought she was just very depressed because she was like staying inside a lot. And then I got married and I was out of the house. And so we kind of just thought it was depression for for over. It took us like a year and a half, almost two years before we even got an actual diagnosis because uh, the doctors, we went to neurologists, we went to psychiatrists, we went to psychologists, all these doctors and no one could know, but we knew something was wrong and she knew something was wrong. She just couldn't remember like little things. Even her friends noticed she'd be on the phone talking and would just forget like words or things that you shouldn't forget, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, it started to get a little bit worse and worse. And finally, like I said, I think it was like two years later, they found amyloid beta in the brain, uh, which was an indicator of early onset Alzheimer's. And I remember like my world shook because I was still, I was young. I was, you know, 
early thirties. Like it's not young, but it's not old, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were just starting to want to have kids and everything. So I told my husband we're having kids right away. I was researching, you know, doctors and all. So I feel like in my case, it was different in the sense that there was an actual disease. It wasn't just aging. There was an actual specific thing. So the first thing I was trying to wrap my head around is I went into, I need to make this better mode, or I need to do all the research. I need to learn about this. I need to do whatever I can. And I was so overwhelmed and so drained because with Alzheimer's, like the Alzheimer's Association is amazing and they provide tons of resources. And I was literally just talking with uh, someone about this before our call because her brother's di- just got diagnosed. But for as long as Alzheimer's has been around and for as much research as they have, they're still not far along at all in drugs. And mm-hmm. so just trying to even learn how the disease works, what drugs are out there, going down the whole clinical trial path, it was exhausting and overwhelming. And there's so many questions you have and you don't even know what to ask. And that was the biggest thing I learned in the beginning was knowing that there's going to be things you don't know to ask and keep asking doctors, keep asking people, what should I be asking? Because every time I'd ask that, I'd find out something else that I would have never even known to have asked because it's, you know, you're learning so much. And then I didn't have kids yet at the time when she was first diagnosed. So I had a little bit more time to research, but you know, if I would have had kids right at the early, it would have been even more. I I don't even know how people deal with it when there's something like that. And so uh, I ended up getting pregnant with our daughter, uh, you know, like uh, pretty quickly after she was diagnosed, you know, and so I was researching at the time, uh, clinical trials, things that I could do to help her finding the right doctors. And the other thing I realized we had to do is all the estate planning and all this thing. So it could be a lot for someone. From a mental standpoint, I'll go into kind of the more details of of things that you do need to have in place. But from a mental standpoint is to really breathe and know it's going to be hard. Get your own support group because you can't do it all. And the more people you have, even if you just to vent, it's just so helpful, especially when you're dealing with something like a specific issue. Um, Really, really make sure that uh, you have your own self-care time too, because it's very easy to go down rabbit holes Mm -hmm. and get very depressed. Like for me, it was like very disheartening to find out that there was not much to do. And so when I was even looking for clinical trials, there was all these technical terms and I didn't know if I was making the right decision and which trial should I get her in and what, what, you know, research is available. Are there any medications she could be taking? Can the medications hurt her? Because she also had other, you know, issues. She had uh, diabetes and just some other things. And she was already on just, you know, normal aging health medications and trying to figure out um, what would work and what what wouldn't work. So I wish I had someone kind of do that. I wish I could have had a podcast to on what to do. So first thing is like your own mental health. Get that in check. It's going to be long. It's going to be hard just know it going in. And that's kind of the biggest, like for your own sanity. Second thing from now, a more technical standpoint, but depending on what the situation is, there's, we can go down that road, but from a big picture standpoint, it's really important to have the difficult conversations with your parents on what their estate plans are. Do they have a healthcare directive? How are they planning on paying for medical care? 
Do they have their caskets picked out? I know these are topics you don't want to talk about, and I encourage you to do this before they even get older. I had to have a lot of these difficult conversations after it was already kind of triggered. And I have found from others that it would have been easier. Sometimes it could be easier if you say you're doing your own estate planning. What's yours? It makes it a little bit easier on parents so that you can do it in advance instead of having to do it when it's already like you're in the whirlwind of things, you know, and then to have to add these questions on top of it makes it more difficult. But you really want to make sure you have, you know, a will and trust. And these are these are really, really important uh, estate docs that you want. One is that you know what the person's wishes are. So healthcare directive, I'll go through that first, is really what your parents' wishes are at the end of life. Do they want to be resuscitated? Do they not? Uh, Some people change as they get older too. So just because even if your parents do have one of these documents, it's always good to have a family conversation, really knowing what their wishes are. Um, it's, it's so key knowing who makes the decisions is also important. So with the healthcare directive, it's going to dictate who at the time who needs to make a decision, not just what to make, but who makes it, which can be very important because you may think you're the one doing it, but maybe you have a sibling or you have, you know, another parent that's still alive, but maybe they don't want to make it and then it falls on you. So having all of that set up is extremely important the will you want in place, because if especially if your parents have any assets, you want to make sure that whatever they have is also going to the right people. If not, it will essentially go to the government to decide and it'll take a long, it's called the probate period. You don't want that happening to your parents' stuff. So having a will in place uh, is also extremely, extremely important. Uh, sorry, Ashley, I'm trying to think. Is there any other, this is going to, you can edit this, right? Yeah. Okay. There's the will, there's the healthcare directive, and I'm blanking. Isn't there like a third thing? Power of attorney. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, And then the third important document that you are going to want is a power of attorney, because as your parents also get older, you may have to make uh, decisions for them and you're going to need to maybe go to the bank, move money around, do all these things. And whoever is in charge, again, you should know who's in charge of that and what the actual responsibility is making sure with all that said from a actual like technical standpoint if you know that you are going to be your parents healthcare directive or you know you're the power of attorney there's also some things you can do to make your life a lot easier first thing to do is get all of your parents medications written down and their dosage have it saved on your phone that was so important whenever i had to call for doctors and things like that they always asked me like what medications are they on what is you know all the health issues Get access to their records. Also get a list of all their doctors. Who are they going to for what? Get their contact information. Introduce yourself to them. And you can do all this before there's an issue. Like this is just planning stuff. Obviously, when there's an issue, you'll have to do this sooner. But um, before there's an issue, these are just good practices to do. So definitely know your parents' doctors. Know their medications. Uh, Another thing to do is know where their money is. If you can start moving money around before there's an issue, that's also great. Trying to consolidate it into all one bank. So maybe it's just not recommending any bank, but you know, the Chase, all their accounts are at least at Chase or just Wells Fargo or wherever. Uh, you don't want to have to be chasing around uh trying to navigate, you know, money and things like that. 
I love the idea of putting it in your phone, like in the notes, because I never thought about that. Like, and to know where, um, where their life insurance stuff is, because I know for like, mm -hmm. for myself, uh, when I've done this is I've, I have a bunch of like little ones at like certain banks where it's like, you sign this and you get like 1500. Well, nobody would know that. Right. <laughs> like, so yeah. to have like, it adds up. So, you know, we have, for example, we have um, our term life insurance, plus then we have insurance at our work. And then we have like these little insurance accounts. You know, I have a pension fund. We have several different 401ks that haven't been like put together. We've got IRAs, like all the things. And so if nobody knows that you have that or where to find that information, you know, it may just sit there and never get distributed yeah. or anything like that. So um, you're right to know that that and to update it. Um, for me, I would personally recommend that you get a local attorney to do this for you, not like legal Zoom or online type yes. of thing, um, because you want it to stand up in court. And so having a local attorney that knows your state laws, because it's not just like, you know, the United States as a whole, you know, the federal laws, <laughs> each state is different. And so you really need to have somebody that knows your local and state um, processes for handling these things. And then you have somebody to go to when the time comes that you need to like do all of these things. Right. And so you have just one person to contact. So, um, I did want to mention that, but I love your tips. Um, and I know we, we kind of got interrupted a little bit, my kid coming in and the doc coming in. So, um, <laughs> let's, uh, did you, did you finish your thoughts first of all, uh, before we got interrupted? And if not, what else um, did you want to um, say about kind of like the preparing part? The The other thing is, depending on what your financial situation is, it's really good to go to an estate attorney, especially if you have assets, because you're going to want to figure out how care is going to be paid for. And so there's if you can get your parents on Medicaid, I believe, and don't quote me on this, you need to talk to an estate attorney, but you need to show a certain number of assets, like below a certain threshold of assets. And you also need to show an income, I believe it's below $2,000 in order to, to be eligible. With that being said, there are legal strategies on how to maneuver assets around so that you can still be eligible for Medicaid, but not have to spend down your entire life savings, especially if you're married and you want to leave some money to your spouse, especially if they're dependent on you, you may not want to go through all of your resources. And so the government has something called the five-year look back. So the sooner you can move money out of your name into a trust, and again, speak to an attorney about this, but if you can do it before you get sick or you know whatever uh, it'll make your life a lot easier because you want to do it with five years before you actually need to access that money so uh, with my mom we didn't have enough time to do it but now we moved everything over for my dad so that when his time it, it comes we'll be able to move move things around and there's certain loopholes like if children are disabled sometimes you can move money within the window for them so because my mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, I then had to deal with my grandma's estate kind of stuff at the same time because my mom was not able to functionally take care of, take care of her. 
And so I had to deal with that end too of, you know, nursing homes and all of that stuff and making sure she had enough money because just for like a, a regular nursing home facility to have like a private room, it was, I think, 10 to $12,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, seven, eight years ago. Now it could be even more, especially with inflation and stuff. And so if you want to actually have like real care for them and make sure you could pick the nursing home and there's a, a gamut of what nursing homes look like and all that stuff. And so, or maybe you want private care, government's going to look into all of this stuff and see what you're eligible for. So the more you can kind of protect your assets before you need to highly, highly encourage you to do so because once it's too late, your options significantly decrease. So if someone gets sick and let's say you may only have like within, you know, two, three years, even your, your options just decrease. So that's another thing to really, really think about before you even, you know, when you start having all these talks, I would say, make sure yeah. the money situation and what they want and how you're going to actually pay for it is, is thought through. Absolutely. Now I have several friends that have been dealing with this and then my husband as well. So his grandma has Alzheimer's um, and then his grandpa had passed away um, several years ago now. Um, but before they even got to that point, like several years before they started doing these things. And so they really set things up and let everybody know who was doing what, where things, what assets are going, where, how it's all going to be taken care of once they're gone. And so I really looked at that as a great example of what to do and kind of how to prepare your family, especially as you get older. Um, It's kind of hard as, you know, in our thirties to think about that, but, you know, I still set all this up in my twenties, but I guess I'm just such a rule follower. And so it's like, okay, well, I need to do this. Plus I was in a high risk job. And so if anything happened to me, I wanted everybody to know what to do. Um, But, you know, most of us aren't thinking about about that stuff Mm -hmm. in our thirties when we have little kids and things to take care of. So, um, but if you can start having these conversations with your parents or your grandparents, when you know that you're most likely the one that's going to have to take care of it, it will make your life a lot easier. And there are, like you said, legal loopholes. So you do need to talk to a local attorney because, you know, maybe you can put your name, get on their bank account. So you can still pay their bills and do those types of things while they're still living, but may not be able to actually do it. And so if you go ahead and get on their bank account where they're still mentally um, cognizant um, and can make those kind of decisions, then that'll make it a lot easier for you to be able to take care of things as things progress or if anything happens to them. So I, and it's not as expensive as you would think. Like I know people probably, well, at least not here. I was surprised um, where you live. It probably is everything is more expensive. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very expensive. That's <laughs> why. But it's if you have some money, it's definitely worth it. Because in like what you just said, Ashley, in my in my grandma's case, it was actually better for me not to be on it, and in my mom's case, not to be on things. So that's gotcha. why you really want to talk to an attorney because it could depend on your situation and what actually would make sense. Like maybe you just yes. want to be power of attorney, or maybe you want it completely in your name, not in their name. And those are also difficult conversations to have that. I'm going to be taking over your money, but like it's for the good, but someone who, you know, may not want you to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, 
Absolutely. And so, yeah, it is important to have those conversations and see what makes sense because everybody's situation is a little bit different, you know, and there's living trusts and there's so many things that you can do, but it all kind of depends on your situation and your assets. So it is important to talk to an estate um, lawyer about this. And I think when we did ours, it was free because I was a police officer. So that was awesome. The, um, the office that did it for us, did it for free for first responders. Um, but you know, they gave you a sheet with how much, you know, it would have cost otherwise. And it was like $1,200, which in the grand scheme of things is not that it's not that much money, especially if you end up having to go through the court system and do probate and do all of those things it's a much bigger hassle. And so, you know, $1,200 doesn't even feel like much nowadays. It really doesn't. I know. Um, I know. It may not be as expensive as you probably think it is. So call around, see, you know, kind of what it costs in your area, because it will depend on where you live. So, um, you know, once they, once we kind of have an idea of what the situation is, um, I think it's also important to have conversations while you still can, when they are still able to make decisions and think clearly and that type of thing. Like what, you know, do they want to, what kind of care do they want? Like you've talked about, like, what are the options? Like, can they live with a family member who can, who can, who has the time and can physically help support them? Um, especially while they still are physically able to do things, but maybe mentally are able to do certain things. You know, we've dealt with that in our family as well. And kind of like, what are the options and just making sure everybody knows what they want um, cause that really is important, especially if you have a lot of siblings I have seen with, mm-hmm. um, certain families, like it was very important that they made it very clear ahead of time, what their wishes were and who was to make what decisions. So I love that you touched on that. Like who's the power of attorney, but who is, cause it doesn't have to be the same people. Who's your healthcare yeah. uh, power of attorney. Who's your executor of the state? Who, who's making all the decisions about what? And I think it's really important because especially if you have multiple people that want to make decisions, they're going to have different opinions and it just causes tension it can cause resentment it can just make things in the family stressful and can and has ruined relationships in the past with yeah fighting over what to do with people and their things and so it's very important to have those conversations especially when you have kids and start young mm-hmm. tell them what your wishes are make sure it's written down on paper and it's clear to everybody what should happen once you pass and to have those conversations with your family as well. But especially the ones that you know that you're going to have to take care of things or at least have a big role in taking care of things. Um, So what else have you found through your experience that people should keep in mind if they are having to prepare um, to help with parents, grandparents? So if you are going to take on the role as caregiver and, you know, that could look like a lot of different things too. Um, but let's say you want the person to be in your house. Well, you, yourself should be budgeting also for that. Um, and there also will be, be a point most likely where, like you said, they may not be able to eventually take care of themselves. 
And it could be a very stressful situation. There could be a lot of guilt feelings involved because let's say your parents do want, don't want to be in a nursing home, but it gets to a point where you just can't do it, especially if you have kids and your, you know, your parents' physical needs or grandparents' physical needs, you know, get very hard, you know, uh, that could just be very mentally draining. And so as much as yes, your parents may not want to go to a certain place, I feel like you need to be kind to yourself too and know your limits and boundaries. And there most likely will be a point, God willing, if they're, you know, still around and able to, you know, live out some of these things. But once their uh, mental and especially once their physical capabilities decline, it's very hard, very hard. And even, or if even if your spouse, like my dad was my mom's caregiver and he was literally doing everything. And eventually like his back, he could he had to like lift her and he couldn't, he couldn't physically do it anymore. So, and I know he felt very guilty about it, but you can't, and you got to give yourself a break and know when to hire someone. That's why I'm so big about the money situation because even hiring an aid in or something, there's it could be super expensive depending on what you need. And then the amount of hours, um, there's a lot of rules around what home health aides can do, what they can't do. Some can administer medicine, some can't. So it really all depends on the needs and it's a lot of research and, and things to look into. Uh, so to kind of have, have a game plan, but know it may need to be adjusted and go easy on yourself if it does. Yes, that's such a great point. And I would also like to mention that, um, you know, a lot of our, I, I don't think anybody, I think everybody says, don't put me in a nursing home. I mean, literally nobody wants to go to a nursing home. I mean, yeah. why would you? <laughs> right? Not great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, but I think there comes a time that your parents or your grandparents, they also don't want to be a burden. And so I think there would come a time that even if you're feeling really guilty about having to put them somewhere that can help them better and help them more, especially when you have little children and, you know, Alzheimer's because we're dealing with that in our family too. There comes a point where it's not safe. Like they need to be in a safer place, you know, because leaving stoves on and, and flooding the house numerous times and, you know, and it's not their fault, but I think that if you think about it in a way that they wouldn't want to put you in a situation either where you are getting depressed and you can't take care of your own kids that they, they would understand. And if they were in the same situation, they would totally understand and wouldn't want to put all that on you as well. Um, so I think if you think about it that way, that would really help lessen the guilt. And I would say as well, just from my own personal experience, looking from things from the outside in that a lot of times it's better for them to be in a facility that can give them the resources and the help. Um, that you can't. And once they settle in and they have a really good routine, um, they do a lot better, even though, you know, of course they're not, they're not going to be able to recover or anything from Alzheimer's, of course, like that's not how it works yet. Um, but we have all this guilt and feel like we're the only ones that can take care of them and that they'd be better off at home or with you. When in reality, that's not always true. There's a lot of 
good facilities out there. There are specific facilities that can help take care of people with Alzheimer's and it's a lot more structured, which really helps them. So I think that we put all that guilt on ourselves and feel like that's the only way. And if we're not doing it, then, you know, they would be upset with us. But in the grand scheme of things, there, there are places that are better equipped to take care of them better. And I think that that is important to remember. Yeah, especially even if not even the physical, it's hard just to watch your parents deteriorate. Yeah. So it may, even if it's not physically draining, it could just be really emotionally hard for mm-hmm. you to be the one that has to bathe them and be the one that has to like take them to the bathroom and be the one like they're your parents. You know, we have these pictures of them as like these many people, some people have pictures of your parents as like superheroes or like, you know, just your parents. And so it it's also just emotionally hard to watch them too. Like where you become the parent. Yes. And it's, it's very hard mentally and mentally draining when you, you're trying to take care of little kids, but you're also trying to take care of, um, an adult kid basically, um, is how, is what ends up happening. And so you're trying to make sure your kid's not jumping on the stove and turning it on. And then you got to make sure the the other one's not turning on and leaving the stove on and causing a, a fire, which yeah. has almost happened in my house. <laughs> so, you know, I have experience. Um, and so, yeah, I've got the three-year-old climbing on the stove. I have to get buttons to get him to stop turning it on. Ah, boys, I swear okay, my first yeah, two yeah. girls did not do that. I did not have to do that, you know, and then you've got the big kid is leaving the stove on and doing stuff. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's mentally draining. I mean, even when they can physically yeah. take care of themselves, it's mentally draining. Um, especially when you're the sole caregiver and you're trying to take care of kids and keep the house clean and do laundry and run to a million yeah. activities each week and all the things it's just exhausting. And, you know, they, they wouldn't want to put all that on you. So it's important to remember that as well. What are some things that you did to kind of help take care of yourself through this process? I had amazing friends that I could talk to and just bounce ideas off of. And I I mean, I should actually say first and foremost, thank goodness my dad was here, uh, is here. He was because I didn't have to worry as much about my mom because he handled her physical care. Um, And I know it was really, really hard for him, but he did it with spades. Not everyone is fortunate and has, you know, somebody around. Um, But that allowed me a little bit of a less direct stress. And even when my grandmother ended up going into the nursing home, he was there. We put her, this is another thing I think is also important to kind of acknowledge as we were just talking about before of like not feeling guilty when you have to put them in a home, but also it's like a very fine balance of then once they're in a home feeling like you need to go see them all the time, but you have your life and then their life. So to make it easier, try to put them near you. It may not be the best facility, but something that you can get to. My parents are like an hour from me. So when my grandma went into the facility. Um, I put, I put her in one. It wasn't the best one. I felt guilty about it but it was right near my dad's house and he could literally five minutes away, he could go see her. Um, my mom actually never really made it to a facility because by the time she declined, it was just so rapid that we didn't even really get to that point. Um, but at least for for my grandmother, we were able to get her someplace that was convenient for my dad. Um, and that also kind of helped 
too, just with my mental stress. Cause I knew she was, if I couldn't be there, at least my dad was there. Uh, and he was able to kind of make sure she was, you know, taken care of and stuff. But I know even when I went, she'd really only eat for me and she really didn't like the nurses. And I know she was doing like, uh, it was, she was miserable. And I felt so guilty because I'm like, oh my goodness, I have her in this place. And and it, it was very hard, but it was having that support group. My husband was amazing through it all, just kind of helping me. Every time I would leave the facility, I'd feel terrible, like, I, you know, literally abandoning her because I, like I said, I knew she would really eat more when I was there and she was just getting so skinny. And when I would see her, it was just it like they sucked the life out of her um but then when i would come she'd puck, you know it was like you know but i couldn't come all the time it was really hard uh so i whatever i guess for the individual for me it was having having that but i still there was no real way to fully like cope with it <laughs> it's like when you're kind of in it it's just so draining <laughs> Not, yeah. and i don't want to be a debbie downer and just say like oh but, you know, whatever you need to do, do it, try to, it's easier to say, don't feel guilty than to actually not feel guilty. Yes, um, absolutely. But <laughs> the more you can, I would say is the better. And I think, well, I, I know that, um, you know, even with talking to your friends and stuff, they don't fully understand unless they've experienced it themselves. Like, yeah, you just That's don't. Sure. It's one of those things in life that if you haven't had to do it yourself, you really you can have empathy, of course, but you just really don't get how taxing it is. Um, and everybody's different too. So it's like different for, you know, um, everybody's family and that kind of thing. But it is very hard when you haven't actually experienced it. You're like, they just, they don't fully grasp it. Of course they can, um, are a good outlet to vent and things like yeah. that. But if they haven't done it themselves, it's, it's not quite the same. Um, and so I think it would be important for you to find a support group um, locally as well. Um, there are support groups for caretakers and things like that. So I think it's important to just be cognizant that you need to do some things for yourself. It's still going to be hard. Yes, it's still going to be draining. Um, but it is helpful when you can at least be a little bit more intentional of making sure you're taking care of yourself as well, because it's, it's hard. And now you can hear my kids. So, um, yeah. So is there anything else that you want people to know or take away from this episode before we wrap up? I would say the sooner you can have these conversations, the better. And also on the same token, if you don't have this stuff in place, definitely do it for your, your family as well. Um, because as hard as it is for you to have these conversations, you don't want to be a burden onto your kids and the more things you can prepay in advance for yourself also, the better. So uh, we already have, we bought funeral plots. We already have like our casket. My husband wants to be cremated. We have everything kind of picked out, already paid for the service, all of that. Cause we don't want my, my grandparents did that. God bless them. Like they even paid for the limo to take us to, from our house to the cemetery um, which I wouldn't have even thought of, but they paid wow. for a car service because they literally wanted nothing for us to do. And they didn't, it's not like they had a lot of money. That was just something important was to take care of their end of life so that they could go and not be a burden. And so if you're someone who doesn't want to be a burden for your own family too, 
Um, even if it may be difficult for you to have the conversation with your parents, at least set the example for your future. And the sooner you kind of get all this stuff in, it's just such peace of mind. And it also doesn't have to cost as much too, because you can have plenty of time to pay because dying is not cheap. <laughs> I love the idea of prepaying for funeral stuff, but it always gets me because I don't understand what if the business goes out of business and like, or what if they don't offer like whatever it is that you paid for or picked out at that time? Like, I don't understand the logistics of prepaying Yeah, I don't know. My, gr- <laughs> my, my grandparents paid like 20 years before. And I, I mean, we they bought the cemetery plots they bought. So we own the land. We essentially own the plot land and then they paid, they knew which funeral home we wanted to do. So we're Jewish. So there's also expenses around the body and how the body is prepared and um, where do you keep the body before we do, we do um, services quickly. Like we don't do wakes and things like that. So we go burial very fast. Um, But they had all of that kind of plan for like covered. So I feel like at least even if that institution wasn't there, it would have been somebody else taking it on yeah. so and even like cremation there's um I feel like there's I know because my friend was telling me she's not Jewish and I know that there's like services you could pay for too that are cheaper to go the cremation out um and that's also another thing do you want to be buried do you want a fancy casket in Judaism we believe in just like the plain basic wood go in like that's it um we don't believe in cremation but some people may have a religious belief and then still not want to do whatever the religion says. So there's like all these things to think about um, as well. And even where do you want to be buried? Who do you want to be buried near? Um, they're not fun conversation, but they, ha- they have to happen or someone That's else is going to be deciding it. That is true. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, cause obviously we've already prepared a lot of this stuff too. Like I don't want to be buried because I don't want there to be like, ha- like how long is that going to be there? And like, how long do you have to go and visit? Like people have to go and visit you and go to like, I've even told my husband, like if I die in Iraq, I don't want the little memorial thing on the side of the road because then it turns into, well, how long do you leave it? And are you going to feel guilty cleaning it up and it's just I don't know that's just me of course and I don't want yeah, to like yeah. why waste so much money on a casket like I like that's money that can go to something else so for me you know that's just how I think about things and I'm just like don't spend all that money on me like I'm you know I'm gone <laughs> like it's fine like just save it for something else but um so it is important to have those conversations because if we had it you know my family wouldn't know that and maybe they spent ten thousand dollars on a funeral and i would be like why would you spend ten thousand dollars on a funeral i don't like don't do that for me like you know what i mean of course it's probably even more than that now i'm sure that that's yeah. probably like a low end uh so yeah i just feel like i don't know i guess i just for me personally, and this is just for me because I'm talking about myself and I do understand like the grieving process and, you know, it's a celebration of life for other people to help them with their grieving process. But for me, when I'm gone, it's like, I'm, I'm gone. like, I don't care what you do. Don't waste <laughs> a bunch of money on it. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It's, that's just how I think about it. But um, it's important to have these conversations, like you said, and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience and how you've um, dealt with these types of things. Um, where can people learn more about you if they want to um, follow your podcast or you on social? 
Sure. You go to investormama.com, my website. You can see the podcast. You can also go to investormama.com slash connect. You can find all of my social media handles. Uh, the podcast is on wherever, you know, all podcasts are held on Apple, Spotify, Google, all of that. And yeah, definitely come come on over. I'd love to meet you. And uh, yeah, Ashley, thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to share my story. <laughs> Thanks for coming on and being patient with all my kid interruptions. Today. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do as moms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you so much to Jen for being here with us and sharing her experience. Now, don't forget, we start the Money Plan Bootcamp soon and come save your seat. It's free. Go to budgetsmadeeasy.com slash bootcamp. I can't wait to see you there.